Three public health advocates have won a settlement and an unreserved apology from a lobbyist over defamatory blog posts on the Whale Oil website. I don't think I've seen an apology like this. Doug Selman, Boyd Swinburne and Shane Bradbrook filed court action back in 2016 against Cameron Slater, Carrick Graham, Catherine Rich and the Food and Grocery Council over the blogs. In a court settlement of this nature, this was a very detailed very strong, effusive apology to these men. In a dramatic turn of events yesterday, Carrick Graham said... I confirm I did this. I wrote these posts for Whale Oil. I commented on them in Whale Oil that I said things that... were untrue, unfair... Insulting, offensive, defamatory. Those were the five words. And with that, a painful legal battle is over. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, the dirty politics court saga involving a blogger, PR man and ex-politician on one side, and three academics. The shocking revelations, the delaying tactics, and what was never revealed. Newsroom co-editor Tim Murphy has followed the case. He was there at court last week and explains it all began with the book. Dirty Politics. Dirty Politics. Dirty Politics. Launched by Nikki Hager during the election campaign. Dirty Politics was a book that Nikki wrote, was based on a hack or a leak of all the communications held by Cameron Slater, the whale oil blogger. Says national ministers and staff have smeared their opponents by feeding damaging information to right-wing bloggers such as Cameron Slater, who runs whale oil. A hacker went by the nom de guerre or the name of Rorschach, Rorschach, who gave Cameron Slater's emails to Nikki Hargett, had obtained, one way or the other, lots of the emails in and out of whale oil uh, and Cameron Slater's inboxes and documents showing that he and that site were being used both by politicians and commercial interests to advance their views and to attack their opponents. And that was published in 2014? Yeah, it came out uh, inconveniently for the government of the time, not too many months before the 2014 election. It was excruciating in many respects because it showed the direct involvement of political players associated with National in both attacking political opponents but also their involvement in these... It was sort of a blend of PR, corporate skullduggery, almost social media abuse, you'd, you'd label it now, all wound up into one series of campaigns against others, and, and national party names were all the way through it. John Key has shrugged off all of the, the accusations or, and that have come out of the book, um, although he hasn't read the book himself, so he, he hasn't read the, the emails and the Facebook exchanges uh, on which most of the book is based. I'm not going to go into all of the details on... Not going to really dignify much in the book now, and the end people can draw their own conclusions. Cameron Slater himself, the blogger, uh, is the son of a former National Party president, was involved in the National Party and various shenanigans and carry on in National for years before and during his time. Whale oil was really a phenomenon of early to mid 2000s to the mid 2010s, really. Every politician should be scared of me. Even John Key? Absolutely. Even John Key. And here we were thinking John Key was his friend. I don't want to get on his bad side. (laughs) The stuff in the book relating to this particular case, that involves Carrick Graham, the PR guy, Cameron Slater, the blogger, and Catherine Rich, who is the head of the New Zealand Food and Grocery Council. Yes, this was one possibly surprising revelation 
uh, in the book and from the Rorschach leak. Piecing it together, three academics who were attacked in this process. Very highly respected, both nationally here and internationally, public health professionals. Doug Salmon, who's an alcohol researcher and lobbyist. Boyd Swinburne, who's prominent uh, in looking at processed foods and sugars and diabetes and the problems lying with that in the community. And Shane Bradbrook, who is a researcher into smoking, anti-smoking and, and Maori health. They were able to learn that they were the direct subjects uh, through blog posts on whale oil, attacking their work, their funding, their own ethics, basically alleging in the word of the whale oil blogs that they were, quotes, troffers. As um, in they had their... Snouts in the trough. Uh, So they came to realise through the revelations in the book and the leak that what had been said about them had actually been engineered, written by... PR man Carrick Graham, who again is the son of a former National Cabinet Minister, Sir Doug Graham, he had contracts with the Food and Grocery Council and he ended up writing and giving to Whale Oil to publish for $300 a throw these series of attacks on these academics. So the publication of Dirty Politics brought this into the open for them and that led to them taking legal action. And they started that legal action 2016, so a while ago. Yeah, they've been at it for a long time and it's had many uh, phases because, as their lawyer in court said, they found that the defendants, Graham Slater uh, and the Food and Grocery Council and Catherine Rich, basically obstructed or avoided or delayed throughout. I think there were deliberate delays hoping that Uh, that we might capitulate in some way. That's Doug Salmon speaking after the apology and settlement. Or that the the charges might be thrown out of court by by the judge. So, yes, I I think that those kind of tactics were occurring, but you you might expect that in in such a high-profile defamation trial as this was. It wasn't a straight path. Defamation laws, complex and vastly costly. It would have taken a detriment on all sides, actually. Everyone involved in this would have come out Uh, the poorer one way or the other. Yes, it's been grinding on for nearly five years and uh, it certainly takes its toll. And when you say delaying tactics, what kind of things were they doing? All kinds of things. In court, the lawyer for the academics, Davy Salmon, used a phrase that really summed it up, I think. He described Carrick Graham's uh, changing reaction and response and uh, view of his involvement in this case as an ever-decreasing concentric circle of denial. Uh, So started out saying, don't know anything about it, didn't write it, didn't have anything to do with it. Then sort of coming back to, well, if there was material like that, uh, I may have talked to Whale Oil about it. If those were written, they were written by me in my personal capacities. I have strong views on food and alcohol and processed food and smoking and so on. In other delaying tactics, Slater and Graham resisted turning over documents, including emails, invoices and texts, and had to be brought to court physically to argue their case. Murphy says Slater's time on the witness stand was limited because he was ill after he'd suffered a severe stroke. But some crucial documents relating to Shane Bradbrook, the tobacco researcher, were never revealed. The plaintiffs plainly believed that he was being attacked by blog posts written by Carrick Graham and published on Whale Oil 
but on behalf of not the Food and Grocery Council, but uh, tobacco interests, including British American Tobacco, the big company. So the judge had to order them to, Carrick Graham, to turn over his invoicing to that business and client as well. And that was fought, both by British American Tobacco and by Carrick Graham, who in the end said that they believed all of that material was irrelevant to this case and it never actually came before the court. It was never made available, uh, even to this day. So it came to court last week. So what happened when you went along? We learned when we got to court uh, that Catherine Rich and the Food and Grocery Council had come to a settlement with the three academics, um, which had involved a payment, confidential, and the plaintiff's lawyer told the court that Catherine Rich had said that they wanted to keep that confidentiality even in the court proceedings if it was being discussed in court. Is that like an admission then? No, I don't think it is. I think you can accept only that you want this to go away, that you perhaps cover costs of the other parties. There may have been a private apology, uh, may not, we don't know, it's, it's kept confidential. The other thing we found when we got to court was that Cameron Slater wasn't there. He hadn't folded or settled. What he'd decided was that he would concede to the judgment of the court, was the phrase, which means basically that he withdrew his defence. Uh, he was wanted, though, by the academics' lawyers to cross-examine in regard to Carrick Graham, the PR guy. They tried to find him uh, to issue a subpoena to attend. He was out of Auckland. Apparently there was a, quotes, colourful communication between the Slater and the attempted server of the documents. But it was what happened next that stunned the courtroom. Just an hour and a half into the first day, this. At the morning break, Carrick Graham and his lawyers started talking uh, settlement. His apology was moving. He was cornered. Doug Salmon was also in court. The, the opening given by uh, Davy Salmon was quite extraordinary. The opening statement was made from the academics about how this had impacted them, how they know it was Carrick Graham writing it, how they know that he was charging the Food and Grocery Council and echoing their views, and how they knew that um, Slater had been paid for the whale oil site to run them. But what was being said was quite harsh by the lawyer for the plaintiffs. He said in his opening that it's rare for a uh, counsel to get up in a case and basically say that a witness whose evidence was to be called uh, in their evidence thus far had been lying and came straight out with that in court. That was an indication, perhaps, that there was going to be some pretty direct and scathing allegations Mm. put as regard to the participants in this. At that next break... Um, they started to talk and then came back and told the judge. And I think it just showed that he really had no no place to go and that the most honourable thing to do would be to capitulate and apologise unreservedly, as he did. I don't think I've seen an apology like this. This was a very detailed, very strong, effusive uh, apology to these men. These things are done... At this point, when you're negotiating a settlement, they're done with a, a one arm up your back from the other side. Mm. So basically he said, I confirm I did this, I wrote these posts for Whale Oil, I commented on them in Whale Oil, that I said things that were untrue, unfair, insulting, offensive, defamatory. Those were the five words. 
And that's a pretty broad menu of things to cop. He went further to say that he apologises to the three men, recognises that their research into things, alcohol, food, processed sugars, cigarettes and so on, were done responsibly and in the public interest and says that he paid them a sum which is undisclosed. The response from those three academics, pretty interesting. Boyd Swinburne said about the case that it showed that the dirty tactics employed overseas by tobacco, alcohol, processed food industries happen in New Zealand. And I suppose ordinary people would be pretty shocked that actually this went on. Yeah, I think uh, ordinary people, media people even, and some industry people would be even the PR industry would have been surprised the extent of this. You know, people sometimes make allegations against public relations firms and comms teams, uh, marketers and so on, and, and claim that some media are used for, you know, certain positions. But this would be the most explicit, elaborate, probably worst intended that we've seen in New Zealand, and very few people would expect that out there... Um, commentary in whatever medium would be able to be purchased effectively. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting was that not only did Carrick Graham provide these things, these posts, he also would go on Whale Oil and comment on them in the comment section. And in court, the plaintiff's lawyer uh, made clear that they would be showing in their case, had it gone ahead, that he had at least four different nom de plumes that he was using. And one of these the lawyers had recognised as something else that he used in another sphere of life. And they also tracked that, you know, some of these comments and postings were coming from an IP address that was the exact IP address for his internet uh, address for his work and his company. So they'd done a lot of sleuthing. But it took a lot. You ask whether people would be surprised. Well... Yeah, people would be totally taken aback because I think even the lawyers were taken aback as they went further and further. No one would expect that level of intensity and brazenness. I wouldn't want to get on your bad side, I'll tell you that. Um, That's so a very wise thing. Right? You should put that. No, that should be in the show. You know, I don't want to get on your bad side. Cam Slater has powerful friends. Judith Collins. Andy Crusher. Yeah. Oh, Patrick out, Paul Henry. Very nice. Slater's blog could shape elements of politics. I recall it being prominent in the last years of the Helen Clark government. And so any Labour Party misstep or scandal or New Zealand First scandal were leapt upon very strongly. There were racy, scandalous allegations and headlines all the time. That when National came in in 2008 under Key... Um, Slater is close to some sections of the National Party. A whole chapter of the book is dedicated to what are represented as frequent discussions between Judith Collins and Cameron Slater, drawn from emails Mr Hager says he was given by someone who hacked the Whale Oil website. Whale Oil had a big following. It won the best blog site yeah. for the then, I think, Canon Awards, the Journalism Awards. That was highly controversial at the time. I was there when it won, and I clearly recall jeering and booing and some shouting from journalist tables. Because, you know, the interesting thing about Cameron Slater and his relationship with journalists was journalists might be a bit um, dismissive of him, but on the other hand, they used him for contacts, and journalists were tapping into his blog to see what kind of stories he was running. 
And this kind of thing came out in the courtroom last week. The lawyers were saying that it wasn't just its own readership. It was what it then prompted from watching media, uh, watching politicians, watching funders perhaps of research. Mm. So it had an impact beyond its immediate viewership. And journalists did pay a lot of attention to it. People would be watching because there would be things said and revealed that in a certain niche perhaps of say within the National Party or in certain niches of politics they did have ins and contacts and were fed, as we know now, directly by people as, as prominent as Judith Collins, who's obviously still standing. So you, in some ways, got an insight into what was being said and thought in those areas of mm. parties or a government. And you also got a good view on what political attack lines might be coming because sometimes not only did they reflect the attack lines, but they kind of stimulated them and fed them. Slater's business has been liquidated and he is bankrupt. And what happened to his whale oil blog site is just another can of worms that we won't go into today. As for Slater himself... Still combative and belligerent, obviously with the colourful communication with the server of the court documents, but even in court last year he was firing shots as fast as he could at everybody, including me and the Herald of the Day. And There's a site that I actually couldn't tell you the name of that <laughs> has started around his legend or legacy, if you like. But the influence, the whole impact that, it, that the whale oil phenomenon had has almost led up to its own name, which I don't know whether you realise when he first started it, the whale oil was, the full name was whale oil be fucked. Mm. And that's sort of where it's all ended up. What about Carrot Graham? Where does it leave him? I mean, he must be out of pocket and uh, his reputation absolutely rock bottom. Well, I guess, but he's a communicator. He's got this comms business that he works in. I imagine that he'd just have to work away at that and build that. There would have been a lot, a lot of cost for his own court costs over the years for his contribution to the costs of the three academics now, plus whatever damages and and the personal impact, I think. Mm. There'll be relief, I'm sure, for him because had he had the chance and had he been able to offer the right thing, he would have stop this earlier. And actually after this interview, Carrot Graham contacted Tim Murphy to say that as much as part of him would still like to have fought these issues through to judgement, after five long years of litigation, he was just sick of it all. When the plaintiffs became agreeable to resolving matters in return for an apology with wording he could live with and payment he found acceptable, he made a decision that was a better outcome for him and his family rather than spending the next two weeks in court, he says. And as a footnote, he said he regards some of the media coverage of the trial and settlement as more defamatory than anything he was accused of. Is he still connected with the tobacco lobby? I can't tell you that directly, okay. other than from the court, that British American Tobacco and he were both giving a view on applications that was in sync and that a lawyer for BOT was scheduled to perhaps join the court by video link to argue why the Carrot Graham BAT invoicing ought not to have come out. So there was still links there, but whether there's still a formal contract, I don't know. Catherine Rich, she is still head of the Food and Grocery Council. Yes, she is. And the Food and Grocery Council statement after the case against Carrot Graham was resolved was interesting because it came out and said we don't and did not pay 
the whale oil site for posts of this nature. And yet Carrot Graham said in his apology... And that he had written he things had for whale oil... And was paid, and, paid by them. And was on behalf of industry, but he didn't say, I was paid for those posts by the Food and Grocery Council. Ah, I see. So there's some convenient implausible areas of, of gaps in terms of the, the sequence. They say, I think, we paid Carrot Graham. He says they paid me, but they paid me for my invoices were for ongoing advice and for counselling and communications. And so they are able to put a statement out saying we did not pay for whale oil posts. Right. And she remains in, yeah, in yeah. her role. The hacker Rorschach, who gave Cameron Slater's emails to Nicky Haga, said he was quitting. He tweeted on his Well Dump 2 account that he's destroying and disposing of every device used in this operation, including all the decryption keys. The hacker said his remaining dumps are with journalists and it's time to go, adding that vigilantism is a dangerous final resort and not to try it unless it's important enough to risk seven years in jail. What do we know about Rorschach? It was never very clear. It was always very murky. I don't think anyone knows for sure, but people have their theories and I think Cameron Slater has absolute clear views on who it might be. Some journalists at the time spoke to a person who claimed to be Rorschach. Whether they know the name as part of that journalistic sourcing privilege, we won't get to know. Back to what Boyd Swinburne was saying about the dirty tactics employed by employed overseas by the likes of tobacco, alcohol processed food industries happening in New Zealand. It, do you think it's going to make any difference at all? I think it should, because I think we'll all be that much more wary of things that look too much like a pro-smoking duck or a pro-sugar or pro-coke or pro-alcohol duck. If mm. they look like a duck and they quack like a duck, I think we'll have a better way of now knowing that they are a duck. We took this, in addition, of course, to restoring our reputations was to clear the, the air and to know for sure that these kind of dirty PR tactics are part of big business strategic models for their commercial activity and that includes the alcohol, junk food and, and tobacco industries. We've strongly suspected this in the past but we now know this for sure. They felt that it was a pretty insidious example of commercial interests manipulating public debate. They viewed they were doing God's work, if you like, but elements that weren't in God's um, corner uh, were acting against them with no one really being able to know until the hack, until the book, Dirty Politics, and until many rounds of legal obligation through this case. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Tim Murphy. Kakite anō. Ka